You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. The views and opinions expressed by Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. Good evening, one and all. I am Professor Charles Porterfield, and hoodoo is my business. Welcome to the Now You Know Show. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the show that they said could not be done. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, earlier today we had all sorts of fussing, fighting, fuming, and feathers flying with Blog Talk Radio. They went up, they went down, they went side to side, dog-legged and kitty-cornered. It was said that the professor could not get on tonight. But I proved them wrong. I'm here live. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We fought through the incredible quagmire that is the soon-to-be-ending dreaded Mercury Retrograde. Oh, hide the children. Get your cousins off the street. Get mom and pop someplace 
fast and safe because it's Mercury retrograde. Well, we've only got four more days of it. Then there'll be a few little days of the transition back. But do not sweat it and do not fret it because I am here. And we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Later on in the show, we're going to be talking about demonic possession. That's right, demonic possession, as well as magnetic sand. Before then, we're going to have some laughs, hear some tunes, and of course, there's going to be the professor's pontification. Don't worry about that. Before we go much further into the show, we want to take a few moments and send out our well wishes to Phil Patchy Fogg from the LMC Radio News Desk. He's not with us tonight, but he will be back tonight. He is currently in the hospital undergoing a minor elective surgery, but we still wanted to wish him well and he'll be back. Tonight, uh, we're going to have Charlie Witherspoon in the newsroom. He's here this week over from Australia, uh, where he's our man in the outback, as it were, uh, for the LMC Radio News Desk and the LMC Radio Network, and he's going to be reading the news for us. But Before we go over there, I have an exciting announcement to make for you. So gather around your speakers and your headsets and all of that, because here it is. In February, in February, the LMC Radio Network is going to be adding yet another show. That's right. They're going to be adding a show for Friday evenings. As you well know, the LMC Radio Network, which I have the honor and privilege of being the general manager of, has been seeking to have one show at least on each and every night of the week. And in February, We're going to have a show on Friday evenings. It's an exciting show. I've been talking to the hosts. It's an incredible thing. You're going to love it. And we're going to be bringing you more details as we get closer. But keep your ears open. Mid-February, the LMC Radio Network, which is in the vanguard, is going to be going to one show at least every night of there for your entertainment, education, and enlightenment, and we all are looking forward to that. So now, without further ado, we're going to go over to the LMC Radio Newsroom, where our own Charlie Witherspoon is standing by. G'day, this is Charlie Witherspoon reporting for the LMC Radio Newsroom. Today is Thursday, January the 21st, 
the 21st day of 2016, naturally. There are 58 days until spring begins and 345 days left in the year. Today and tomorrow are both auspicious days to bake, cut firewood, cut hair to increase growth, mow to increase growth, dig holes, wax floors, get married if you're looking to, and start a diet to gain weight. The 21st and 22nd are also a good time to plant seed beds and flower gardens here in the U.S., that is. Best planting days are also on the 21st and 22nd for above-ground crops, especially peas, beans, cucumbers, and squash, where the climate is suitable. Today's highlight in history comes to us from 1976, when British Airwaves and Air France inaugurated scheduled passenger service on the supersonic Concorde jet. Also on this date in 1793, during the French Revolution, King Louis XVI, condemned for treason, was executed by guillotine. In 1861, Jefferson Davis of Mississippi and four other Southerners whose states had seceded from the Union resigned from the United States Senate. In 1915, the first Kiwanis Club dedicated to community service was founded in Detroit. In 1924, Russian revolutionary Vladimir Lenin died at the age of 53. In 1937, Count Basie and his band recorded One O'Clock Jump for Decca Records. On this date in 1942, they re-recorded the song from OK Records. In 1968, the Battle of Khe Son began during the Vietnam War, and an American B-52 bomber carrying four hydrogen bombs crashed in Greenland, killing one member and scattering radioactive material about the crash site. In 1977, President Jimmy Carter pardoned almost all Vietnam War draft evaders. Today's birthday greetings go out to actress Anne Wedgworth, who is 82, World Golf Hall of Famer Jack Nicholas, who is 76, opera singer and Conductor Placido Domingo is 75. Singer Mac Davies is 74. Actress Jill Eckenberry, 69. Singer-songwriter Billy Ocean is 66. Actor-director Bobby Benson is 60. And actress Gina Davis is also 60. Our thought for the day comes from American comedian George Burns, born... 1896 died 1996 who said I honestly think it is better to be a failure at something you love than to be excessive at something you hate this has been the news with Charlie Witherspoon from the LMC radio newsroom and we now send you over to Professor Porterfield and the lucky numbers Lucky number, oh, dreaming of lucky numbers, hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers gonna show for you. 
superstition. Or even make me suspicious. A table with 13 dishes. If you you'll make me That's mommy, yeah? Yeah, man. Well, open it. Put my trunk in group of stuff. Cause you know someday may bring you a seven. Or maybe a lucky eleven. Oh, that you be in heaven. Lucky number for me. Yeah. Oh, yes. And you need not just trust in goof or dust like the nicholas brothers because we have the lucky numbers and the card of the week for you here each and every week this week's lucky numbers come to us from professorporterfield.com why not stop on by and take a look and before we get to the numbers let me say this no i did not hit the powerball but some of the numbers I gave away to a client did get them a minor hit on that. They didn't make millions, but they made a nice sum. The lucky numbers of the week are 12, 18, 21, 35, 39, and 44. Once again, those numbers are 12, 18, 21, 35, 39, and 44. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are 279. That's 279. 513. That's 513. And 454. That's 400. And 54. And those numbers will run with some luck from now till next Thursday when you can get your next set of numbers. The card of the week is the Five of Clubs. The Five of Clubs, a job of work. The Five of Clubs suggests that this will be a busy week indeed, full of work, labor, and tasks. Set your matters in order early this week so you don't get overwhelmed by the work ahead. This is also a very good week to be careful what magical and spiritual work you do. Do it carefully and not in a lackadaisical fashion. And to be careful of others who are not working or may be working on you, I should say. Remember, our week runs Thursday to Thursday, so check in with the Now You Know show to get the numbers and cards when they first come out. And if you hit, remember where you get. Till then, good luck to you all. Welcome once again to a little segment of the show we like to call Cooking with Miss Loretta. Each and every week, Miss Loretta Evans of the First and Second Baptist Church of Quimby, Texas, is here to bring you easy and tasty recipes that you can do in your own home. So, without further ado, let's head off to Miss Loretta. Thank you, Professor Porterfield. It's always a joy to be here. I'm so glad that we were able to get on tonight. I was worried, too. Hi, all. I'm Miss Loretta Evans. 
and I'm here tonight to talk to you about a little recipe that I call Double Crust Chicken Pot Pie. Now, for this Double Crust Chicken Pot Pie, you're going to need the following. One half a cup of butter, two medium leeks sliced, one half a cup all-purpose flour, one 14 and a half ounce can of chicken broth, three cups of chopped cooked chicken, either white or dark meat or a mix, depending on what you like, three cups, I'm sorry, one and a half cups of frozen cubed hash browns with onions and peppers, matchstick carrots, one-third a cup chopped fresh parsley, one-half a teaspoon of salt, one-half a teaspoon of freshly ground pepper, and one 17-ounce package of frozen puff pastry sheets sawed, and then finally, a large egg. Now, to make this recipe, first you're going to preheat your oven to 375 degrees. Then melt your butter in a large skillet over medium heat. Add your leeks and saute them for about three minutes. Sprinkle with the flour. Cook, stirring constantly for three minutes. Then whisk in the chicken broth and bring to a boil, whisking constantly. Remove from the heat, stir in your chicken and the next five ingredients. Now, while that's setting aside on your stove, you're going to roll each pastry sheet into a 12 by 10 rectangle on a lightly floured surface. A nine-inch deep dish pie plate and spoon your chicken mixture into the pastry. Afterwards, you'll place the remaining pastry sheet over the filling in the opposite direction of the bottom sheet. So if it ran left to right, you want this one to run top to bottom. Fold the edges under and press with the tines of a fork, sealing to the bottom crust. Then you're just going to whisk together your egg and one tablespoon of water and brush it over the top of the pie. And you just pop that into your oven that's at 375 degrees on the lower rack for 55 to 60 minutes or until brown. Take it out, let it stand for about 15 minutes, and there it is. It is so delicious and hearty and warm and something that I am sure your family, like mine, will enjoy, particularly during this cold season. Well, hope y'all enjoyed it. Let me know if it was tasty. Talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Miss Loretta. You know, we're always so happy to have Miss Loretta in here each and every week. She's just so much fun, and she brings so much to our show. And I've had uh, a number of things that she's cooked, and she's a damn fine cook. Up next, 
the professor's pontification. Tonight's topic is, I got what you need. Or, which side of the street are you on? Thank you. 
Oh, yes. Well, I'll name it and claim it. We had quite a few people call, you know, name off some things. So, first of all, let me say that Supernatural Radio, Supernatural Radio gets half a cookie. That's right. You get half the cookie. And a whole cookie goes to Colby Stonehawker. She got it 100%. That was indeed the amazing Curtis Mayfield with Pusher Man. Very good. Congratulations on that first round of Name It and Claim It. Tonight in the pontification, our topic is I Got What You Need or Which Side of the Street Are You On? I'm going to be talking this evening. Before I start, let's say something. So, Professor, why do you have the pontification at the top of the show, and then later on in the show you give us information about spiritual work, the Bible, Scripture, etc., and then herb, a root, a curio, etc.? Well, the reason is it's a trick. It's a trick. It's absolutely 100% premeditated. It's so you'll listen to the pontification. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You know, that way you can't just tune in and go, right, got the information, bye. You have to listen to my silly butt for a while. Tonight I'm going to be talking about something that we have touched on a bit in a few other pontifications. We touched on this a little bit when we talked about the need for respect and honesty and ethics when dealing with clients who have uh, serious mental illnesses or who are currently facing uh, physical maladies that will result in their death. And we already discussed that. This is a, a branch off from that. That I've touched on a little bit. The issue here is very much about spiritual practitioners, and obviously that is not limited to simply practitioners within the hoodoo, root work, and conjure community, although that is primarily who I speak to because that's where I come from. So this serves as both a little lesson to them all, as well as an important statement and warning to those who are on the customer side, the client side. There are clients who call, and they have a particular problem, whatever that may be. This is often manifested in and around the issue of love work although it is not exclusive to it. They've got some reoccurring desire, want, or problem, and they're looking for some level of magical help or magical remediation. So they go to a worker. The worker hears the case and perhaps does a bit of definition on it, a bit of prayer, and says, well, here's what I can do for you, and does the work. And then there is either no response, not because of the failure of the worker or the failure of the client. Some things just don't manifest. 
or there's a small response, a little bump, but not what the client wanted in full. Then the client comes back wanting the exact same thing in the exact same manner. And the worker again attempts it, and again, there's either nothing or there's a little action. Not a further step. No, it's the same thing. In other words, there's a little relief. There's a little bit of a change. Talking about steps going up here, one, two, three, that we're getting closer and closer to the goal. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that we get the same result, the same remediation, the same alleviation of the problem. And again, not to the wholeness of the need or desire, and then it goes away. Client calls back again. This goes on and on and on. There has to be a point, people. There has to be a point at which a worker cuts this off. There has to be a moment when the worker says, I cannot read on the same situation in terms of divination again and again and again and again and give you the same answer again and again and again. Or the worker says, I cannot keep doing this work. We're not making any headway at all. You're getting no change whatsoever. Or I cannot keep doing this work because all we're doing is taking the same step. We're not going any further. You're not getting anything more. We're not making steps closer and closer towards the goal. This has to be done. I'm a strong believer in this. Why? Because I'll tell you why. Let's take divination for a minute. Let's say you have a client that calls you for a reading, and they want to know a highly specific answer. They want, and their question is very specified. And they're going to ask this question. And you know they're going to call you back in two weeks and ask you the same question again. This is not a generalized question. This is not a general question where factors may change, meaning this is not this is not them calling and saying, how are things going between me and my wife? How are things going at work? Is there anything that I haven't seen? Is there anything going on that I'm not aware of? That's an open-ended question about a situation that may change, that is ongoing. In other words, let's say the question is, the court case I'm still involved in. How's how's it going right now? There are unknown factors. What do I need to know? That's an open and ongoing question. I'm talking about a question like this. Does he love me yet? Will he ever be mine? And it keeps going on. Client calls. Does he or she or they love me yet? They call next week. Does he or she or they love me yet? They call the week after. Will they ever love me? They call the week after. Will they ever love me? They call the month after. Will they ever love me? It's the same 
question, the same situation that is not a open, ongoing, changing situation. And it's not just about love work. It can be about anything that's closed off like that. And you do the reading. The reading is, let's say yes, no. You do the reading again, same answer. You do the reading again, same answer. You do the reading again, same answer. If at some point the spiritual worker does not say to the client, honey, we're reading the same thing constantly. We're not doing this every six months. We're not doing this once a year. We're doing this every two weeks or every week or once a month. Then the worker is slipping over the line into becoming a pusher. That's right. You heard me. Write it down. I'll sign my name to it. If you come out to the 2016 Hoodoo Heritage Festival and have that written down on a piece of paper and hand it to me, I'll sign my name to it in public. I mean it. But you have to listen to what I just said. I'm not talking about a changing situation. I'm not talking about the client calls you. Does so-and-so love me? You say, mm, I, what I see here is there's a possibility for love. They're not absolutely in love with you. The client says, can we do some love work? You do some love work. There's a lot of positive response. They suddenly go out on a date. The client calls you back in three weeks and says, how is it now? You do a reading. Do you decide to do a little more something for her or him to do in their house or to carry on their person? They have many more dates. The client calls you and says, how is it now? That's different. That's ongoing. That's a situation that's changing. I'm talking about a situation that doesn't change. You're giving the same damn reading to the same client on a regular basis. And you start to notice that they're calling more and more. They called once every month, once every eight weeks. Then it was once every five weeks, once every four weeks, once every three weeks. Now they want a reading with you once a week. When does it get to the point that they want a reading from you multiple times a week, every day? And what you're doing is you know you're telling them the same thing, or you know you're doing the same piece of spell work for them, or you know you're doing the same work for protection for them. Now, protection is a little different because protection is ongoing. Here again, you, the worker, have to be listening. Is this person really in trouble, or are they getting more and more paranoid? Cannot. Well, you can. This is America. You can do whatever you want, Okay. But I feel that it would be disingenuous and unethical of you to string these people along forever. But, but what has it got to do with hoodoo? Oh, how are you in here? I lock the door. How do you... You have a key. Give me that key. Oh, he has a key. He has a key. Somebody gave him a key. All right, great. He's got a key on a shoestring around his neck. I'm never getting rid of this kid. Well, kid, what it has to do with hoodoo is 
should be apparent, young man. It should be absolutely apparent what it has to do with hoodoo. We have clients who come to us in need. That's just a truth. Most people do not employ a spiritual worker, a hoodoo, a root worker, a conjure doctor for giggles. Oh, there are a few people that will come to you for a reading for pure entertainment. It's a joke to them. All right, that's their right. They have their money. If they want a reading just for entertainment or just to hear your voice or just to see how you do it, that's that's their business. Okay, that's fine. They're not coming to you constantly. Most people, though, come to you because they have a need. Love, luck, money, prosperity, which is different than money. To get something that's been put on them off of them to alleviate an attack, etc., etc., etc. They've worked hard for their money. They've come to you now, the hoodoo, to have the work done. You have to be aware of your client. You have to. It's difficult sometimes. I know this. Called all times of the day and night. Doesn't matter. You can put up. I only work between these hours on this day. You can put it in 96 tile font on every web page, flyer, pamphlet. You can you can have somebody come in and paint it on the window of your door. You know, there are still people that do that. They do nice work. They make this beautiful lettering. It can say that above everything else. Your hours can be posted larger than your name, and they will still call you every day of the week, every week of every month, every month of every year. And it's hard sometimes to have an absolutely personal, deep assessment of a client. But you need to, because it may be that the client that you're working for has a mental illness. That's just one example. They may have a mental illness. And what you're now doing is you're feeding it. You see what I'm saying? You've become a part of their problem. And you're not here to become a part of their problem. You're here to try to help remediate people's problems. If you're just here saying, sure, hey, you got the money, I got the time, what are you? What are you standing for? What are you representing? Now, yes, we've all got bills. I've got bills. We all have to pay for the roof over our head, our taxes, our money, the gas that goes in the car, and hopefully there's some left over to buy some food and put some clothes on your back. But you have to draw a line. Someone in the chat room just made an example. They, they lightly likened this to prostitution. I disagree. This is not prostitution. This is drug pushing. You've got somebody. They have some kind of something's gone wrong with them. They are either suffering from a mental illness or they are living under the fear 
of a disease or something else physical that they know is going to kill them, and they are trapped in that. And you're feeding it. You're basically selling them a dose. They call you for the reading because they want to know the exact same answer to the exact same question. And you're enabling them. You're helping them out. But you're not helping them with the problem. You're just helping them get their fix. You're helping them tie off, find a needle, find a vein, and take a dose. Because you've let it go on and on and on and on. I'm not talking about the first time they called. I'm not talking about the third time they called. I'm talking about this person calls you every week of every month, of every year, and they pay their money, and you take it, and you read for the same question or do the same work. And in your heart of hearts, you know what's going to happen because it's happened the last 45 times. And again, it's not an ongoing situation. This isn't a client who's been in a legal situation, let's say, for three or four or five or six months in court, because court cases go on for a while, man. Some of them you go in on the day, they have the hearing, you're out, it's all done. Some of them, it takes a week. Some of them, it takes a year. That's different. You've got a client. They're going to court. Every time they go into court, there's a change. There's a this. What's the judge going to do? What's the people on the other side of the aisle, the prosecution or the defense going to do? What's happening with the evidence? What's happening with their lawyers? This is all changing. They're coming to you once a month or once every two weeks or even once a week because they're in an ongoing situation. You're not getting the same reading every time. The work you're doing is changing because you do this piece of work for them in the beginning, then they come back to you two weeks later and say, here's how it went, and here's what changed, and where this is where we need to focus now. And you agree, you read for them or do whatever, and then you change the work up. That's honest. That is honest. This is no different than you're trying to help someone who's in a situation that they're locked into. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they have an abusive spouse, and it's changing, okay? It's changing. I'm talking about the people that call you that it doesn't change. They want to know the same question every time. They can word it down. When they call you, when the phone rings, you see their number. You know what they're going to ask. When they book an appointment for you for Wednesday at 11 a.m., you know what the question's going to be. You almost don't have to set down cards or throw bones or look at how wax melts or the the innards of a crow. You know it's going to be the same answer, and you know in your bones it's going to be the same answer. There has to be a moment when you find a method to cut them off that isn't just forgetting about them. In my opinion, the worst thing that you can do is to have that client and just suddenly stop taking their calls. You don't say anything. You don't say, baby, I can't keep doing this. Honey, sir, ma'am, I can't keep doing this. We're just spinning. No, no, you just stop taking their calls because they're a pain in the ass. So you stop taking their calls as bad as just keep taking their damn money. 
there has to be a moment when you sit down with your clients and say, we're not making any progress. Let me offer you some alternatives. We're not making any progress. I don't feel that I can continue to be a worker for you. Well, I'm not the right worker for you. I'm not able to make headway. You're asking the same question every time. Because if you're not doing that, what you're doing is you're enabling an obsession. Think about this a minute. You've got a client. This guy's 26 years old. He's a uh, manual laborer, blue-collar kind of guy. And he's calling about this girl. This girl really doesn't know him. They really haven't been on too many dates, if any at all. And he's calling about her. What she's do? What's she doing now? What's she doing now? What's she doing now? He's been calling you for about three months on this. If there wasn't a moment in that where you stopped and went, wait a minute, wait a minute, who am I talking to here? Am I, am I throwing gas on the fire that's burning inside a stalker? Somebody who might, you know, walk up to somebody on the street corner because he thinks she's in love with him and because she won't show that love, pull out a gun? What am I doing? You have to be aware of this. You have to be aware of this. Here's a very important statement that I would like to make to you about the arena of love work. When you talk to a client and they are head over heels in love with somebody and they want to, you know, further this, whatever, ask them what that person's birthday is. This girl you like, this guy you like. Maybe you've been on a couple of dates. You think this is going to go to marriage. You know, you want to get married. Or you want to have a physical relationship. Ask them, what's, what's, the, what's their birthday? If they don't know, that's a signal. You should make a note of that. They don't know. They don't know their birthday. Uh-oh. You should probably also tell them, honey, this is probably not the great romance you think. You don't even know his birthday. How close are you to really? Okay. If they do know, if they do know the birthday, ask them, what did you get them for their last birthday? If they've known them in the time period that that would have occurred. You know, if somebody called me today and did that and the birthday they gave was uh, uh, December 9th, and I know that they were had been interested in each other since September. I would say, oh, what would you get him for his birthday? Oh, I didn't get him anything for his birthday. Uh-oh. You're not close enough to actually give them a birthday present? It tells you a little information about how close they are. Okay? Now, again, let me reemphasize this. This is terribly important. I am not talking about regular customers. I'm not talking about that there's a lady and she likes how you read cards. She just likes the way you read cards and she comes to you once a month. You know she's going to come to you once a month. 
and she wants you to read her cards. She just wants she wants a general reading as an example. She wants general reading once a month. That's not what I'm talking about. Why? Because that's an open-ended situation. Meaning what's going on with her from month to month changes. I'm not talking about a regular client. I'm not talking about a regular client who likes your spell work, who likes the way you lay roots, who likes the way you throw, and they are bringing you another piece of work because you did a good job last time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about return clients. I'm not talking about regular clients. I am talking about obsessional clients. And you can tell they're obsessional. Here's another example. Somebody calls you for curse work, lays it all out, seems good to you, seems like, yeah, that person that they want to curse has it coming. Whatever your boundaries on that are, it fulfills your boundaries. You do the curse work. It goes great. They call you back. Now they've got another target. Okay, well, sometimes people have a lot of shitty people around them. You do the work because, again, it meets your boundaries, your limits. Work goes well. Then they call you back. They got another target and another target and another target and another one. When are you going to stop doing curse work for them? How many people are you going to count down for them? Is it three? Is it five? Is it 18? Are you going to kill an entire convention center for them? Are you going to curse the state of Nebraska? Where's the limit? You should have said to yourself, uh-oh, what's up, around target three, somewhere in there. Because some people do have more than one enemy. That's just a reality. But you need to be careful, too. You need to start thinking about that. What happens when we're at 12 targets? Maybe that person isn't mentally ill. Maybe they've got nothing wrong with them. Maybe they're a completely clear-headed regular, everyday person, but they're just incredibly fucking vengeful. Is that who you are as a worker? Does it not matter? Okay. Once again, we live in America. You're free to do whatever. Maybe that's your job. Hell, maybe you bill yourself as the curse king or curse queen of central Alabama. That's fine. There are people who do that, by all means. But if that's not who you are, then you've got to stop and say, what am I hooking into here? What's going on? What am I doing? Where am I going? What reputation am I making for myself? See, this is multi-layered, folks. This isn't one issue. This isn't just about lovesick, heartbroken people or easy marks. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this bleeds over into so many different arenas. Because you have to find a time and place where you say enough's enough. Because if you don't, if you just have a, you got the money, honey, I got the time, that's who you are. That's what you represent. And you're doing a disservice by a lot of people because some of those people are going to be mentally ill. I mean it. They're actually mentally ill. 
and you're not helping their mental illness. You're harming their mental illness. You're harming their mental illness. Okay? You've, you're enabling them. You're making it worse. And where I come from, that's not the description of our job. Okay? That's not the description of our job. You have to have limits. Otherwise, you're just a pusher. You're just selling poison at the end of the day. Bit by bit, little bit by little bit. You have to be ready to break with clients. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong, it's hard. Because we all live in the real world. We all have bills to pay. And some of these clients are willing to have cash on the barrel head for you every single time. And sometimes it takes time for you to suss out how far off the railroad tracks we've gone. How much of a cornfield meet you're about to be in the midst of. Because they seem like regular okay people when they first came to you, second time, third time. They don't start to get hinky until the fourth or fifth time. This is an issue we have. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because there are people who say they are spiritual workers. They are no more spiritual workers than your car mechanic. In fact, your car mechanic may be more of a spiritual worker than they, who are con artists. They're just con artists. That's all the hell they are. They're just there to take money. They get lots of money. In fact, many of them move on, change their names and appearances, and open their businesses up again. I mean, out-and-out con artists, people the police are looking for right the fuck now. And part of how they operate is they feed and encourage and take advantage of people's fears, worries, and sadnesses. And that's not what we're here to do. We're here to help people. And that line can get blurry. See, there are people on the outside of our business who say that all of us are con artists. We're all liars. We're all cheats. We're all frauds. We're all make-believe artists because we engage in magic. They don't even believe in magic. Therefore, magic doesn't exist. Therefore, anybody that sells magic is selling a bill of goods. But that's not the case. We have clients that we know we've helped. We have clients who are willing to stand up in public and say, no, they helped me with whatever, and they didn't keep bleeding me for money. Yeah, I go back to them from time to time. Not once a week. Maybe once a year. Maybe once every six months when something happens. Or life is fine. I just go on. I never called so-and-so again until my son started getting in trouble. Until my son started getting in trouble, and then I called you because I had a new problem. Because I have a new problem. And that's legitimate. And that's good. And that's right for us to continue to be there and help people. If we're helping people. Now, there's another shadier side to this. Not shady, but shadowy. There's another shadowy side to this. This is when the worker is unable because of ego to let go. You're not bleeding people. You're not trying to take their money. You don't they're not mentally ill. 
they don't have a fatal disease that's killing them, and you're taking the last of their dollars. You're not some shiny polyester suit wearing under a tent in the middle of the summer faith healer who's just going to be moving on to another town. No, you're a legitimate worker. You do good work. You do proper readings. You don't string people along. Ah, but now you've gotten yourself in a situation. And the situation is this. You're not able because of personal blindness, because of ego, because of whatever, to say, I can't. I can't. I don't know how. Or I haven't been able to. Or I'm not succeeding. You just keep coming up to bat again. Swing, swing, swing. You're out. Come up to bat again. Swing, swing, swing. You're out. Come up to bat again. You get so caught up in it. This becomes personal for you, more so than the client in some ways. You know your work is good, and you can't figure out why you can't help so-and-so, the client. Why nothing's turning around. You're spending hours on the phone with them. You're so inside their private life now that it's not even funny. You're literally guiding them in every step of the way. You're on the phone with them saying, okay, now do this. No, 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 don't write it down. Do it right now. Okay, three drops. Now turn left. Okay, now say this psalm. No, I'm going to stay on the phone while you say it. Okay, now because you want to make sure everything's happening right. You suspect maybe they're the ones that aren't doing it, and that's the sabotage. But that's not the case. The case is that you just don't have what it takes to make progress on this person's case. And for some reason, you've gotten yourself so tied up in blue that you're not willing to say, I'm sorry, I'm not able to help you. I've tried. Because what you need to be doing is this. You need to be saying, look, I tried. I did my best. We tried again. I changed paths. I went to other people. I went through all my information, all my knowledge inside and out. I talked to my spirits. I talked to my ancestors. I talked to God. I've been in prayer about this. I've done everything I know, and I can't seem to get you the results you need and deserve. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to recommend that you go to this other worker who I trust, who I know, who I know is legit, ethical, clean, and potent, and I suggest you go to them. And in fact, when we get off the phone, I'm going to call them, and I'm going to leave them a message letting them know that I sent you to them so they don't think you're just some guy saying that I sent you. That's what you're supposed to do. Okay? If you don't, you know who you are? You're that doctor. You know that annoying doctor? We've all probably seen this guy once in our life who just keeps running fucking tests on your ass. Like, he never says, well, let's go to another doctor. Well, I'm going to send you to an expert. Well, you need to go over here. Well, you need to go see an endocrinologist. Well, no, he just keeps running the same. He's like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Then he starts to suspect that maybe you're, may, are you really in that much pain? Or he starts saying, well, you know, it's something you're doing. He never says, I, as a doctor, am unable to find the cause of this and to remediate your pain or your situation. So I'm going to send you off to this people. Now, if he's a good one, he does. But we've all been to that guy. He just keeps running the fucking tests. And I'm not talking about new tests. He keeps running the same set of tests. 
New tests would at least be, well, maybe it's your bones. Well, maybe it's your brain. Have we checked your nose? Is it your left ear? At least he's moving on to new things. He's exploring. This is another part of this. This is another part of this because here we have the worker unable to let go of the client, not the client unable to let go of the worker. But it basically boils down to the same pot of stink at the end of the day. So we have to be aware of this as workers. And as clients, you have to be aware of this. Don't let a worker encourage your fear, sadness, and desperation. The worker is there to work. The worker is there to help. When people say to you, I guarantee you, you pay me and all your wishes will come true. Right? You don't have a job. You don't have love. They're getting ready to kick you out of the house. You got 72 traffic tickets, sheriff's hunting for you, and the worker says, you pay me and it'll all go away. Everything will be fine. There'll never be another problem in your life. Run backwards. Get away from that person. Run backwards. Because no legitimate worker says that. A legitimate worker says, I believe I can help you. Let's address this. I can do this. I can do that. You have to do this part. Here's what you have to do. A real worker also tells you things like, you've got to stop doing whatever. A real worker will get into your business. A real worker will say to you, every time you call me, uh, you're stoned. This can't go on. Part of your problem is you're stoned all the damn time. A real worker will say, eventually, honey, he's never coming back. He's not. He's now married and has six kids. I know you loved him. I know the two of you were married, and now you got divorced, and now he's got another wife, and they've been married 15 years, and they've got two kids, and they have a house in another state. Baby, he's not coming back. Okay? Workers set limits. Workers have boundaries, and we have to because when we don't, when it's all free and easy, when we're all just promising whatever, however, whenever, they got the money, we got the time, and we're going to get results. And you want to cry to me this week about the boy that you can't get back? You want to cry to me about the girl you can't back? I'll get them. But we'll keep reading on this until this deck of cards wears out. Oh, you've got T-cell cancer? No problem, T-cell cancer. I've got rattlesnake dust and grease, and we're going to defeat the T-cell cancer. You're going to survive T-cell cancer. When we do that, <clears throat> not when we engage with people who are returning to us for ongoing problems, not when we deal with people who are coming to us for changing problems, not when we are loyal to our regular clients, not when we are loyal to our returning clients, not when we do good ethical and clean work, not when we set boundaries and have ethics, but when we just drop the line and say, it's all okay, I got what you need, just slip off into this alley with me, then all we have become is the pusher man, and all we are doing is setting our clients up to waiting for the man.
Oh, yes, and we have two, count them two cookies this time. Our name it and claim it cookie goes to a new contender, folks. Watch out. There's a new kid on the block, Supernatural Radio. That is correct. Lou Reed with Waiting for the Man. And an extra special cookie goes out to the Grand Mufti of Satanism, our own troll towelhead, for identifying that when that song was done, in the back, that is none other than the Velvet Underground. That is also correct. So two, count them, two, two big cookies on that one. And you know, that song's been around for a while, been covered by a lot of people. And that was just Lou Reed, well, doing what we're all trying to do here. And that was his little way of sending out a signal. What's that signal? Why, that's the LMC Radio Network on the air! The LMC Radio Network, broadcasting around the globe, bringing news, information, education, and entertainment to all. It's the LMC Radio Network in the vanguard! The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, hosted by Catherine Ironwood and Contraman Ali, Sundays 3 to 4.30. Candelo's Corner, starring Candelo Cambisa, Mondays 5 to 7. The Crystal Silence League Hour, hosted by John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6. In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7. On Sacred Ground with Kai Armand, Wednesdays 5 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursday 6 to 7.30. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. And online at luckymojo.com. Thank you very much, Chief Engineer here at the LMC Radio Network, Troll Talhead for that breakdown of our shows here each and every week. And coming in February, a new show. Be on the lookout for it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here's one of our good friends from the old Monster Chiller Horror Theater on KTVT, the one, the only, Count Goulash, to say a few words from our sponsor. Count Goulash, here to talk to you about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. Did you know that Lucky Mojo is both an online magical shop and a real magical store that you can visit? They carry a full line of handmade spiritual supplies, including occult oils, incense, powders, candles, herbs, the mojo bags, spiritual soaps, books, and spell kits. For those who cast magic spells, love spells, money spells, and protection spells in the African-American hoodoo, pagan magic, and other witchcraft traditions. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. 
why not take the long and mysterious journey to visit them? You can bring the kids. They love to see the train set that they have there on the grounds of the Lucky Mojo Curio Company and see all the tiny people and tiny animals and wonder if they were always so tiny. <laughs> and watch the train go around and around and around, leading you deeper into hypnotic sleep until all you can hear is the sound of my voice reaching into your mind about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. And after you've seen the trains, why not spend a few moments of private meditation and prayer in the world's smallest church. That's right, the Missionary Independent Spiritual Church, right there on the grounds. And then go into the shop with bravery in your heart and browse through the aisles of thousands and thousands of different items from all around the world at 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. But... If you can't make it there, there is no fear because they can be found online at www.luckymojo.com. That's right, www.luckymojo.com. And you can see their online catalog full of beautiful pictures of all of their products and orders online from them. So once again, that is the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California, and online at www.luckymojo.com. <laughs> when you go, <laughs> tell them Count Goulash sent you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 my, 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 ladies and gentlemen, Count Goulash, it's really hard to follow him. I mean, seriously, we really need, we need to put him on much earlier in the show, okay, because it, it's hard to follow. It's, 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 he's a powerhouse. What are you going to do? Up next, little part of the show, I like call Secrets of Yes, that's right. The Secrets of Scriptural Sorcery. This week, we're going to be talking about demonic possession. That's right. Make no mistake, though, I am still Professor Porterfield. I'm not the devil. <laughs> I'm going to 
gonna take those as they come It has been time that you was done well But you come down yet you gonna catch some hell Yes, I'm the devil Oh, and I don't fear none I say, yeah, I am the devil I'm gonna take those as they come Going to town tonight All across the city The way I'm going to them girls You know it's a really pity Yes, I'm the devil Oh, and I don't say none I say, yeah, I am the devil I'm going to take those as they come Devil is a man In your face, your friend All he wants you to do is Just a little of sin Yes, I'm the devil Oh, and I don't get on I say, yes, I'm the devil I'm gonna take those as they come Oh, devil possession 
primarily as outlined inside of Christianity and then more so inside of the Protestant experience. However, when we come to the Bible, we find that possession by demonic forces occurs almost exclusively in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have only one instance, and even that is not really uh, the kind of possession we're talking about that takes place. We're told that an evil spirit from the Lord troubled Saul, and that it's in uh, 1 Samuel 16, 14. This does not necessarily imply uh, a personal influence. However, when we come to the New Testament, the phenomenon becomes very common. But the Old Testament does contain numerous references to evil spirits, often interacting in malevolent ways with individuals. But I have to say that it is not what we think of as demonic possession. On the other hand, the New Testament mentions several episodes about this sort of thing, including that Jesus drove demons out of people. We have examples in Matthew 4, 23-25, where a demon-possessed persons are healed by Jesus. Matthew 7, 21-23, uh, that many will drive out demons in Jesus' name. Matthew 8, 14-17, again, Jesus healing many who are demon-possessed. Uh, Matthew eight twenty eight thirty four, perhaps the most famous of this, which is where Jesus sent a herd of demons from two men into a herd of pigs, uh, about two thousand pigs, according to the account at Mark five one twenty. Matthew nine thirty two thirty four, Jesus made a demon possessed mute man speak. Matthew 10, 1, 8, the 12 apostles were given the authority to drive out evil spirits. Matthew 11, 16, 19, this generation said that John the Baptist was possessed by a demon. This was meant as an, uh, you know, to counter him, to insult him, and to say that what he was doing was evil. But it does tell us that there's still this thing that people are possessed. Matthew 12, 22, 32, Jesus healed a demon-possessed blind and dumb man. And this goes on and on. We see it in Mark, where we see at Mark 9, 38, 40, a non-Christian is seen driving out demons in Jesus' name. We see it in Luke. Uh, Luke 13, 10, 17, Jesus expelled a spirit of disease from the body of a woman on the Sabbath. We see it in Acts. We see it in Revelations. So, now we can say that clearly there is a, a, a setup going on here. All right? That people can, apparently, according to the New Testament, become possessed by demonic spirits, 
demonic forces, and that this is something that happens. It happens enough that you can use it as a slander against someone, as was used against John. So it's a not completely uncommon event. Some define this sort of possession as being a situation in which Satan or some demon takes possession of a person's body without their knowledge or consent. So the victim is therefore morally blameless. Okay? That is seen as possession. And that's important that we say that. Why? Because there is a change nowadays. Now we hear that people become possessed because of something they did. Well, we will address that in a moment. But it is important to remember that the earliest definitions of this is that this is demonic force taking possession of a person's body without their knowledge, without their consent. So the victim is therefore morally blameless. Nowadays, you hear a lot of nonsense. You hear, oh, if you let the children dress up as Ninja Turtles on Halloween, they'll get possessed. Oh, if you watch that movie, you'll be possessed. If you read that book, you'll come under demonic influence. If you drink uh, a Capri Light out of a squeeze bag, you'll get, uh, you'll get possessed, or you'll become under demonic influence. This is 10 pounds of hogwash in a five-pound bag. Life is not some sort of spiritual minefield that you just have to hopefully navigate through with some luck and care. Otherwise, boom, you're going to set off the demonic mind the demonic shrapnel, and you've got no one to blame for it yourself because you're the one that dressed up as a ninja turtle for Halloween. Hell, you went out to get candy on Halloween. You watch R-rated movies. You didn't do this or that. This is not within the normal framework the Christian faith. It's not within the normal framework of the Bible. It's not within the normal framework of the traditional church, particularly not the church of African Americans that brought out and made hoodoo. This is some sort of nonsense invented by this kind of evangelical, that kind of guy over here looking for a buck, and this person. Relate it back for a moment, if you will, to our pontification tonight. Here's someone playing tears. See? This is the big stick. If you do this thing that might lead you to disagree with me, then you'll become demonically possessed. And who wants to be demonically possessed? Well, I did a quick survey this week. And out of the 45 people I asked, 43 of them did not want to become demonically possessed. And the other two uh, may have been drunk. I'm not sure. The point is, this is just what we were talking about in the pontification, using fear. This is also 
used another way, which again we talked about in the pontification. This is where someone has a problem, and you tell them that the problem exists because they're demonically possessed. Oh, you've got MS? It's a demon in you. Oh, you've got rheumatoid arthritis just in your hands? You're a man? You probably jacked off too much. See, if you hadn't played with yourself with those hands, then the devil couldn't have gotten into your hands and you wouldn't have had rheumatoid arthritis in your hands. It's obviously because you masturbated. Really? No, you've got rheumatoid arthritis. You've got MS. You've got a disease. But again, what are we praying on? Now we're praying on people's sickness. Fear, sickness, worry, concern. Okay? There's a six different forms ranging from complete control by Satan or some demons to voluntary submission. All right? Let me break this these six different forms down for you. And by the way, these six forms come from generally professional exorcists and people involved in exorcisms. They start with the worst, which is possession, which I've already outlined to you. I'll cover it again. Possession is that state in which Satan or some demons take full possession of a person's body without their knowledge or consent, so the victim is therefore morally blameless. Two, obsession. This is a state which includes sudden attacks of irrational obsessive thoughts, usually culminating in suicidal ideation, and results typically from influence of dreams. That's stage two. Why is that important? Because we're making a line here. We're trying to tell you the difference between this and schizophrenia, as an example. You will note that this did not mention exterior voices. That would be schizophrenia. You hear an exterior voice. This is you're typically being influenced by dreams. The dreams will not go away. They continue and continue and continue. Stage three, oppression. We're going from worst to least here, folks. Oppression. This, in which, this is the state in which there is no loss of consciousness or involuntary action, such as in the biblical book of Job, in which Job was tormented by a series of misfortunes in business, family, and health. comes with an air of oppression. You feel it in the house. You feel it around you. And again, this is somewhat similar to what some people experience when they're jinxed. The next stage is you have external pain. This is external pain caused by Satan or some demons. Again, this is not internalized pain. This is not your joints ache. This is not your stomach's upset. This is not rheumatoid arthritis. This is not MS. This is, I was walking along and somebody slapped me in the face and there was no one there. I was walking along and somebody punched me in the stomach and there was no one there. The stage below that is infestation. This affects primarily houses, things, or animals. In this, there is an infestation of the demonic presence, but it's not in you. It's in your house. 
It's in things. It's in animals. This is where, you know, blood starts coming out of the walls, right? There's a swarm of flies that there's no reason for flies. And then finally, the, the, the bottom of this list is subjugation. Subjugation is which, in which a person voluntarily submits themselves to be possessed by a demonic force or the devil. All right? In this, we have, the again, this range. Here's the bottom, subjugation. I said, hey, I want to be possessed. Somebody possess me. Come on, possess me. All right? Again, we're not talking about traditional African traditional religions here. I am not telling you that Papa Legba or any of the other Loa are demons. I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. I didn't suggest that. I'm talking about demonic influence inside of Protestant Christianity, primarily as we see it here in America. You want the Catholic version of this? It's going to be a lot more complex. All right? What happens here is that at the bottom, we have someone who gives themselves up, and then it kind of ranges all the way up into which someone is taken against their will. I'm not here to address subjugation. I'm not here to address someone voluntarily surrendering yourself or inviting to be possessed by demons or the devil. You don't need me. My, not anything I can do for you. You got your own trip. You're doing your own thing. Mazel tov, good luck to you. Oh, by the way, I would appreciate it if you didn't come over to my house for lunch. You know, I mean, that'd just be kind of nice. Uh, what with you being voluntarily possessed by demons and shit. Uh, and then all the way up to possession. That's more what we're talking about. We're talking about that top rank. You didn't do anything. You got the devil now on you. Demonic or satanic possession has been characterized since the Middle Ages by the, quote, Roman ritual um, as being possessed of the following attributes. Manifestations of superhuman strength, speaking in languages that the victim does not know, uh, the, the revealing of knowledge distant or hidden that the victim cannot know, and a overcoming rage, blasphemous rage, and an aversion to holy symbols or relics. But what's it got to do with hoodoo? Are you still here? You were here at the first segment. Now you're still... Okay, fine. You're still here. All right. What it has to do with hoodoo is that in hoodoo, we hear about this happening sometimes. Again, this is not the Roman side of this. This is not the Catholic possessory experience. That is this... That's, you know, man, come on, that's 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 high dollar, all right? That is something that you see in movies. I mean, that's big time. You've got girls floating off the bed, spitting up pea soup, and, you know, the crucifix is flying around, and people are sprinkling people with water, and the power of Christ compels you, and, you know, people have, have their necks turned around backwards and throwing themselves out of windows and shit. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that we sometimes in hoodoo and in Southern culture see this experience 
where someone says the devil has got on them. The devil is plaguing them. The devil is troubling them. If you think back to the list earlier, what they're talking about is these intermediary steps, this in-between stuff. They got no luck. They can't, nothing goes right. They're experiencing kind of what Job experienced. They have things in their house, uh, spiders. There are sounds at night. Things come to them in dreams that scare and trouble them. And this does not seem to be related to an enemy, meaning this isn't a jinx. This isn't a curse. This isn't some worker who's burning a black candle on them at midnight and whispering to it to keep them awake and break their minds and, you know, unsettle them. No, they've got the devil on them. All right. Well, how does one get the devil on them? Well, there are a number of different thoughts on that. The first thought is that the person may have engaged in a transgressive act. Now, again, think about what I said earlier. The victim is morally blameless. Here's where we're crossing paths with that. Here's where we're saying the person has actually done something transgressive to get the devil on them. Like what? Like get drunk and go into a, cur into a church and curse the Lord. Okay? Like to desecrate a graveyard. Okay? In, a, in other words, they've drawn the devil's attention. They have not drawn the action as a punishment per se. This is not God saying, hey, you did this, and so now I'm going to punish you. This is they drew the attention of the devil by engaging in devilish behavior. Well, what do we do about it? Well, there are a number of things. The first thing that is within the context of hoodoo is that you would plead the blood of Jesus. We've talked about that before in our segment. You plead the blood of Jesus to drive away this evil spirit. Why do we believe that can work? Because in and amongst the examples I gave you from the New Testament, we see it being done to some extent. People, a non-believer, a non-Christian, drives out demons in Jesus' name. You can drive out demons in Jesus' name. The apostles are given the power to drive out demons. They are giving authority to do this under Jesus. Jesus says that in later times, those who follow him and those who believe in him will be able to do miraculous works. They'll be able to move mountains. They'll be able to do all these things that he has done and more in his name. He has driven out demons. Therefore, we too can drive out demons in Jesus' name. So the first thing you would do within the context of hoodoo is you would plead the blood of Jesus. So far, the better if it's the individual who's having the problem to do that. Because, again, we're not necessarily talking about that final stage of absolute possession where you're rolling around going, hey, anybody got a hamburger with some syrup on it? Why syrup? Because it's a demon. Obviously, you know, only a demon will want to put uh, blueberry syrup on a hamburger. I don't know. It's just a guess on my part. There are other things that can be done as well. You could use devil's bit 
devil's bit to try to drive away this because of its potency. You could use devil's shoestring, hobble bush, to try to protect your house from the demonic spirit that's coming into it. You could use salt that could be placed around the house or could be rubbed down on the person or the person could take a bath in salt or take a bath made of salt and devil's shoestring and devil's bit. You see, to wash this influence off, to break with it, prayer, legitimate, honest, from the heart, non-ritualized. Again, this isn't Catholicism I'm talking about here. Extemporaneous prayer from the heart in the name of Jesus. Okay? There is also an idea in hoodoo that you might bring into your house or have brought into your house or onto you something that already has demonic power on it. Now, wait a minute, Professor. Didn't you say that we can't become possessed by dressing up as Ninja Turtles or eating a non-kosher hot dog on a Saturday afternoon? Yes, I did say that. Now, aren't you saying we can come into contact with things that might get us possessed? Yes, I am. Here's a differentiation. I'm talking about actual pieces of work. I'm talking about things that have had demons trapped in them or demons placed into them at the behest of another, that then you find the pretty pot in the middle of nowhere, okay, and you say, oh, look, a pretty pot buried in the woods under a tree with a circle of salt around it and a big sign that says, do not touch salt, sucker. And, you know, I dusted the salt away and took the jar because it was so lovely, and I brought it home and put it on my mantelpiece, and now blood comes out of the walls. What the fuck do you think happened there, guy? I mean, come on. In other words, other workers, other people may have put demonic force or influence or spirit into something for any number of different reasons. To get rid of it, to bind it, to send it to somebody else, and now you have encountered it. You may have encountered it because you may be the target individual that they wanted to send it to in the first place. So you'd have to do... Be careful of just all these things you pick up. Again, we're not talking about I was walking down the street and I saw a newspaper in the street and I picked it up and now I'm possessed by a demon. It, it's a newspaper, okay? It's a regular old newspaper. I picked up a newspaper drenched in blood. Uh, wait a minute. Back up. Why, why did you do that? I picked up a floating uh, ace of spades that was tumbling down the street towards me and uh, written on it in marker. It said, now you get what you deserve. All trouble go home with you and live inside you. Yeah. Wait a minute. Now we're going someplace else. So to wrap this up quickly, what we're talking about here is that there is this belief that there is the possibility of possession by demonic forces and that there is remediation for it. You can use these herbs, like I talked about, devil's bit, devil's shoestring. There are other purgative ones. I suggest you go and look it up, read up on it. Prayer, pleading the blood of Jesus, cleaning the house, and guarding the house. Again, with salt, with devil's shoestring, with red brick dust, etc., are all helpful to this. So that has been a little discussion on demonic possession Within the context of hoodoo, I hope you will 
Look it up. Please study up more on it. Don't just take my words. Up next, we're going to go into the kitchen and talk about magnetic sand. Oh, yes. Oh, that drifting sand.
Oh, yes. That was the late, great Jimmy Dawkins. Jimmy Dawkins with Drifting Sand. No cookie on that one. Well, as I told you at the top of the uh, the top of the show, we had some difficulties with blog talk, and it threw me a bit off. So we're in a rush for time. So let's talk quickly about magnetic sand. Magnetic sand. It's not just for feeding lodestones. We all know magnetic sand. We use it to feed our lodestones. Those lodestones we use to draw luck, to draw money, to draw love are fed with magnetic sand, also sometimes called lodestone hairs. And what is magnetic sand? Well, it's powdered powdered iron. It's iron powder or iron grit. And you may have first encountered it in science class when you were a kid and somebody teacher showed you the little patterns on the piece of paper that the magnetic sand makes when you put a magnet under the paper so you could see the force lines of the magnet. This is what everybody has for, and everybody uses it for. We feed the lodestone, we feed the lodestone. But there's other things that it can be used for. First of all, if you fed a love lodestone, let's say you had a love lodestone to draw love to you in general or to draw love to you specifically from some other person, say in a mated set. Let's say you liked Sally and you had a lodestone for Sally and you're trying to draw her to you and your little paired lodestone, the one named for you, you got them set together, you feed them magnetic sand. You can take some of the magnetic sand from that lodestone, okay, that you've been doing that work on, get it in your hand, and when you're around Sally again the next time, secretively sprinkle it around her feet. Get it into her foot tracks. That's to help draw Sally to you, okay, because you've already done the work on it. So the work for the magnetic sand does not just stop at the lodestone at the lodestone, I should say, that you're using for love. You can use magnetic sand in a number of different ways. Magnetic sand that has been magnetized, again, through a lodestone, can be used for drawing work. In other words, you've gone use this now to draw. Let's say you have a lodestone that you've been using to draw money, and you've been feeding it magnetic sand. And that magnetic sand has become magnetized because of that. You can now take that magnetic sand from your lodestone that you've been using to draw money and use it. How can you use it? Well, you could sprinkle it around at the job interview, put it in, you know, dust down a piece of paper with it, put it inside an envelope. You can also sprinkle it onto a candle that you were burning for money or prosperity. I should tell you that when you sprinkle iron filings into fire, it makes a nice little woof. Magnetic sand need not simply stop at the lodestone. It can be used on its own, particularly once it has been magnetized. But wait, there's another use. There are old, old, old recipes for goofer dust that talk about adding to the goofer dust bits of iron, very, very tiny bits of iron, detritus. I'm not talking about shrapnel. I'm talking about little slivers, magnetic sand, iron filings that come from the anvil, go into the goofer dust. So you can add in now magnetic sand to your goofer dust 
as well. So you see there are a variety of things. If you put a lodestone into something, let's say you had some lodestone grit, that lodestone grit into an oil or into a powder or into an incense, obviously you would add a little pinch of magnetic sand with it as well. Just like the lodestone shouldn't be put into water-based products, you're not going to want to put magnetic sand in either. You're going to get rust, except you can use magnetic sand in curse work to make rust. You can sprinkle magnetic sand on a plate around a candle that you are using for cursing, where you want something to seize up in somebody's life, or you want their car to stop working, and then you can sprinkle water or spray water down on that magnetic sand, and it will rust, and it will rust quickly. And you can do this to, again, seize up, break down, harm. So I would like you to take a moment this week to consider everyday average magnetic sand, that you probably have not thought about. You probably have just kept it on your shelf because i got to feed my lodestones. But if it's good enough to feed your lodestones, then it must have other use. So I want you to take a week and go out and read up, study, and ask your elders and your friends a little bit about magnetic sand. Our segment in the kitchen comes to us each week, not only from our own knowledge, but also from the excellent book, Hoodoo Herb and Root Magic, A Materia Magica of African-American Conjure by our friend, Miss Catherine Ironwood. And we thank her for its inclusion each and every week. Well, folks, I'd love to stay. I'd love to chat more and talk more about possession, magnetic sand, and what we talked about in the pontification. But this is it. This is the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. I leave Fort Worth, Texas, and go to Texas Canal, and don't back to Fort Worth. Come on down to Dallas, King Kong, Kitty. Coming through the territory in Kansas City, and Kansas City, St. Louis, and St. Louis, Chicago. I'm on my way, but I'm doing well. Change cars on the TP, leaving Fort Worth, Texas, going to Dallas. Hotel, Grand Sling, Sulik, Mineola, Tyler, Longview, Joseph, Marshall, Little Sander, Big Sandy, Texacano, and Double Badger Forward.